You are listening to the Root Simple Podcast. In this episode of the podcast, we talk to beekeeper Max Wong in front of a live audience at a meeting of the Long Beach Beekeepers. First, I'd like to thank all of our listeners, but especially all of our Patreon supporters. I'd like to name those at the $10 a month and above level. So thank you to David, Sandy, Denise, and Robert. Thank you also to longtime supporter Michael W. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, you can find a link on our blog at rootsimple.com. In this conversation with our friend and neighbor, Max Wong, uh, we talk about her efforts to help legalize beekeeping in both Los Angeles and Santa Monica. Max and I have known each other for a long time, and we both learned beekeeping from Kirk Anderson, who was also a guest on this podcast. So now, my conversation in front of a live audience in Long Beach with Max Wong. Hello, Long Beach. Hello, Long Beach. Hello. All right, everyone. So this is the Root Simple Podcast, and I'm here with my friend, beekeeper, and neighbor, actually, Max Wong, neighbor one block over. And we're going to talk about, well, a lot of things, right, Max? So I guess we'd start out with um, how you got interested in beekeeping in the first place. Um, I'm one of those people who always wanted to be a beekeeper. When I was in first grade, my best friend Andrea's mother, Roberta, rented out the backyard of their little house in Eugene, Oregon to a beekeeper. And so the first time I went over to play at Andrea's house, I went out into the backyard and there were these four beehives and this fog of insects. And I was initially just sort of stunned because of the sheer number of things flying in the air around me. And Roberta said, Oh, yeah, these are our bees. They're our pets. They're totally tame. Don't worry about them. And I was like, okay. So I played in that backyard for six years, and I was never stung. And so that initially was what um, sort of was my dark entry into the world of beekeeping was actually through a friend. And then when I was in second grade, uh, we went on a field trip to an actual beekeeper I was the only kid on the field trip who got stung. And as my teacher was tear, I was tear, like in tears because I got stung in the finger and hurt really bad. So as the teacher's digging the stinger out of me, I asked the beekeeper, why do you like this? And he said, I like beekeeping because it's relaxing. And my ADHD seven-year-old self went, I could use a hobby that's relaxing. So that sort of stuck in my head. I kept checking out books and I kept sort of reading Martha Stewart magazine and, and trying to figure out how do you start beekeeping? And every article and every book started out with, well, you know, you buy a package of bees from a reputable bee breeder. And so my first question was always like, how do I know they're reputable? Because... I really don't want to get bees from somebody who's disreputable. That sounds super bad. And then you sort of read about how they mail these bees through the U.S. Postal Service, and then you get these 3,000 insects in a box, and then you're supposed to dump them into your hive. And I'm just thinking about how my luggage looks at the airport and thinking, okay, when they get to me, this is not going to be a good scene. And how do you exactly dump bees in? Like, how does this go? So I just sort of felt like I couldn't have 3,000 deaths on my conscience. <laughs> that would be really bad karma. So I just sort of put off beekeeping as something that I would investigate when I retired. That was like on my like little old lady bucket list. And then about 13 years ago friend of mine, Amy, who I have a total girl crush on because she's always doing the coolest thing. She sent out this random email like, hey, check out my bees. And so I had to call her and it was like, how did you do this? And she said, we found this master beekeeper uh, at LA Honey Supply and he started a bee club. And I was like, I'm joining your bee club. I am there tomorrow. And uh, Weirdly, my husband, who comes from a beekeeping family, came home that day 
and said, I was just listening to Off-Ramp, and they were interviewing an urban beekeeper. What do you think about keeping bees in the backyard? And I never talked to my husband about my desire to keep bees, and this is how I know I married the perfect man for me, because somehow he just got it. He was tuned into my psychic radio station. So like that day, we're like, okay, we're going to keep bees. So we showed up at um, what was then called the Backwards Beekeepers. And there were 15 people in the group when we started. And then when it morphed into Honey Love, I think there were 1,200 people in the group. And so I learned everything from Kirk Anderson pretty much. And what did Kirk teach you? What was his method? His method is uh, because I fell into the same May, may I say cult, too. So um, <laughs> what what did Kirk teach us? It was a very interesting and unusual method. Well, Kirk called his group the Backwards Beekeepers, which is based on um, the 10 basic principles of beekeeping outlined by Charles Martin Simon. And, um, and they're all sort of good advice. Uh, but the sort of meta overview of Charles Martin Simon's position on beekeeping is that it should be bee-centric and not human-centric. So stop thinking about the money and stop thinking about the honey and just think about your bees. And if you take care of your bees, your bees will take care of you. And so I sort of thought that that was a really good position to take because they're doing all the work, really. I'm just giving them the home. I'm the landlord. And uh, so I started doing it. And uh, one of the things that's very specific to Kirk Anderson, who's been a beekeeper, well, he now, he just recently moved to Salt Lake City. But up until that point, he had been keeping bees in LA for 30 years. And he lives in an apartment in Silver Lake. So he had no property, and he was just keeping bees all over town. And how he accessed bees was he would find feral bees and trap them out or cut them out and then move them into Langstroth hives. And that's how he got all of his bees because he was a house painter by day. And he kept hearing about how bees were dying out. But on every job he was doing, there were bees in the attic, there were bees in the eaves. Hey, there's bees in my birdhouse. There's bees in the tree out front. So he just sort of thought, why would I buy packaged bees when there are all these bees in places where they're a nuisance to people, where they're endangered because somebody's going to call an exterminator on them when I can just get them for free? So I've been working with feral bees since I started beekeeping just because he was my bee procurer. And um, I fell into the deep end pretty quickly because I ordered a hive from him and he was like, okay, like, well, there's a couple people in front of you and it's as I find these bee populations because I'm not a bee breeder, I'm a bee finder. And uh, he called me about two weeks later and he said, Hey, I've got a hive. I was like, great. So we installed it in the backyard. And then three days later, he called back up and said, hey, do you want to buy another hive? So I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So um, pretty much immediately, I had two hives. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I read a lot. And I was trying to sort of like parse things out. And my recommendation for beekeepers is to always have two hives when you're starting out because it's hard to learn about things in a vacuum. Like I didn't know anything, but I could go, this hive seems busier than this hive. And the bees in this hive are smaller than the bees in this hive. And the bees in this hive get up in the morning earlier than the bees in this hive. So just by comparison in my own backyard, I could sort of like parse out the differences between the colonies and start sort of my research on like why is this hive doing this versus this? So I feel like it's a really good learning tool to have a comparison. And where do you keep your bees? You actually have a, well, some in your backyard, but there's an unusual location where you keep them as well. Oh, well, since I'm moving back into my house next to you, um, my bees are actually on vacation at another neighbor's house. Um, But uh, we were talking about, uh, I have a couple bee yards, and I think my most glamorous bee yard is on the roof of the former Catholic Cathedral in downtown Los Angeles, because I'm the beekeeper for Redbird Restaurant, and they use their own honey supply. So I get to crawl up to the roof of the Cardinal's Quarters, like 
think it's 16 flights of stairs. <laughs> and uh, I have a really beautiful urban view of downtown Los Angeles. So that's my coolest bee yard. Cool. Now, um, you also have, uh, we should let people know, you have an interesting list of uh, suggested supplies. You want to say something about that for beginning beekeepers? Well, my question back to you is, why do you think it's interesting? Well, you've you've collected all of these supplies in one place, and I'm guessing it, it might also be related to where we are in our climate appropriate, yes, or... I uh, was asked to do my beekeeping list by my former intern, who now is like a big tech venture capitalist, and he has this new app called Gist, which is a app that has expert list making. So he called up and he said, we're beta testing. Will you make the beekeeper list? And so I said, okay, I'll make a beekeeper list, which was smart because up until two weeks ago when I made this list, every time somebody emailed me out of the blue and said, like, what should I get? I had to retype the list. I was never smart enough to make the Google Doc. Um, So this sort of forced me into activity. So if you don't want to get the app, uh, I will post this on my blog and you can access that through Root Simple. And I'm guessing this is a backwards specific list too, which meaning like no foundation, that kind of thing. Should we talk a little bit about yeah. the details of that for sure. people who might not know. Sure. So um, I try and keep things as low-fi as possible. I teach uh, beekeeping to five-year-olds at LA Unified. And um, my big thing is I try and put as few obstacles to beekeeping as possible because I feel like beekeeping is sort of in that universe of um, vegetarianism or um, organic gardening where you can never be virtuous enough. Somebody's always going to be a jerk about it. And, you know, it's like even when we started with the backwards beekeeper, it was overwhelmingly like white hipsters. And I sort of look at things like in the Second World War, 40% of the food production in America was created by backyard gardeners. And a lot of those people were little kids in the inner city. And I am a big advocate for um, food security. And one of the ways that you can have food security in a city like Los Angeles, where like one out of seven people is going hungry, is to have a good pipeline towards food. And you know, beekeeping is a green industry. It, it's a job that cannot be outsourced. It's totally based on your knowledge. And so it's a great opportunity for somebody to sort of literally bootstrap their way out of poverty because there's very little startup fees. And so I try and keep my setup super simple and as cheap as possible. And so I buy like the B-grade um, no pun intended, uh, Langstroth hives, and I assemble them myself. And I, um, I only use mediums. That's the other thing that I'm a weirdo about. I'm always getting yelled at by other um, commercial beekeepers because they're like, oh, your Tonka toy truck hive is like the usual reference. As, um, I don't use the, anything bigger than a medium because I am sort of a medium-sized lady and um, a lot of my hives are on stands or they're tall enough where they're like five or six feet tall. So I can't lift 60 pounds of honey myself while standing on a ladder <laughs> safely. And um, a medium, when it's full of honey, weighs like 40 pounds. So already that's kind of hefty. And so I basically just sort of said for my personal safety and comfort and because I don't want back surgery later in life, I'm just going to only use mediums. And that is helpful too because then everything is really modular. I don't have to have two types of frames. I don't have to have extra equipment. Uh, The only downside to using all mediums, and this is why commercial beekeepers complain to me about this is because the ratio of woodenware to bee space is much tighter in medium. So your bees will make less wax because they have less space to make foundation and therefore they will be less productive. I mean, you know, I've talked to my bees about it. They seem to be okay with it. And once you'd always talk to your bees. Um, 
When we began with the backwards beekeepers, of course, what we were doing was completely illegal in the city of L.A. and the city of Santa Monica, and you played an important role in legalization efforts. Um, first, with Santa Monica, right? Should we start with Santa Monica and say what, what you did in Santa Monica? Sure. So um, a beekeeper who is a second-generation beekeeper from Santa Monica named Daniel Salisbury showed up at a backwards beekeeper meeting basically saying, I need some help. At the time, he was under fire by his neighbors because he had hives, which were illegal at the time, and um, he was being forced to move them. And this was especially problematic for him because simultaneously, he was trying to get bees legalized in Santa Monica. And he had a very specific system in place that I thought was really smart and interesting, which is he basically figured out that the city of Santa Monica was killing 40 to 70 colonies a week on public land. So anytime somebody called about a school, a park, or a, you know any type of public building, a library, they would call an exterminator. And so his idea was like, well, what if we got this team of volunteer beekeepers to remove the nuisance bees, um, and then we would move them into Langstroth hives in a city-owned bee yard, and then once those hives got settled, we would sell them to farmers out in like Ventura or LA County who need more bees, And so it was sort of perfect because it was like, okay, well, we're going to move bees from where they're not wanted to where they're highly desired. And, of course, the city council was like, you're ridiculous. Um, That is so stupid. And if you think we're going to give you property, you got another thing coming. So he was, like, super stressed out. So I called him up and I said, look, I like your idea. I think it's really cool. So what can I do to help you out? And he said, well, I need to go to this first initial meeting with the entire city council and make this proposal. And I'm not done with the proposal yet. And I said, okay, well, when's the council meeting? It was like four days. So I was just like, oh, no. So I said, well, just email me what you have. And he emailed me like literally three sentences. So... I just sort of sat down and um, drank like 20 cups of coffee and researched other sort of bee laws in other cities. And I wrote a document with the proposal. And since it was Santa Monica, I, I, and they have a green office and they pride themselves as being like really awesome. I'm just going to say it was a very shamey document. Because I wrote it in the way that was like, you know, super forward-thinking, future-proof cities like Tulsa, Oklahoma, (laughs) Waco, Texas, and Cleveland, Ohio have already legalized beekeeping and have systems in place citywide, in addition to vertical cities like San Francisco, Paris, London, and New York. So... I just like made it seem like, what are you guys doing? You can't really sit back on your green credentials and not have legalized beekeeping. So I wrote this document and Daniel started this like one year schlog to where he would go to every city council meeting and speak. And because I do not live in Santa Monica, since I lived in Echo Park, um, I couldn't really do that because I'm not a resident. Um, but I was their worst nightmare. I would get emails like, call off the swarm, as if I could control the internet. Because, you know, we had started a petition and people from all over the world were writing in like, wait a minute, I am from Manchester, England, and I vacation every year in Santa Monica with my family. Why don't you have legalized beekeeping? What is going on? So they got a lot of heat. And, you know, Daniel had to stand up to a lot of Basic stupidity, because the main obstacle in Santa Monica was uh, the extermination companies who had the contracts, because 
they were killing a colony and they were charging $75. And like 40 times 75 times 52 weeks of the year is a lot of money. So he faced a lot of pushback from them and from people who didn't know a lot about beekeeping. So a lot of the questions that I had to answer for Santa Monica City Council were things like, well, if you're moving bees from an urban environment to the farmland, what makes you think that those bees are going to stay on the farm? I mean, they might not like rural life. And I'm like, well, yeah, because they're from Santa Monica. So I, I assume there's going to be a learning curve. Like they're going to be bummed out that they, the Wi-Fi is bad and they can't get their pumpkin chai latte, but they'll be fine. Eventually they'll set into like bucolic farm life and just be rural bees. Um, so this is the sort of thing that we had to deal with. And Finally, after a year of sort of pushing, Daniel got it through and it was voted for unanimously. So now in Santa Monica, you can legally keep two hives on your property if you register them with the city. And that was sort of the test for Los Angeles because in Santa Monica, Santa Monica is one city. So it was like one city, one law. And so I started working on Los Angeles, which is much more complicated because how many municipalities is it? Well, I think there's 88, is that right? 88 independent municipalities in the county of LA? Yeah. Not to mention the the, the council districts that are, that are massive, too. And so, yeah, let's talk about LA now, the, the struggle for legalization in LA. This is Eric interrupting this podcast from the future while I'm editing it. Somehow both Max and I scrambled two different things. To clarify... Honey Love's strategy was to go before the city of Los Angeles's 97 neighborhood councils, which are strictly advisory bodies. So Honey Love went before these neighborhood councils before taking the bee legalization issue to the actual city council, which has the power to vote policy into law. In answering Max's question, I stated the number of cities in the county of Los Angeles. Those cities are independent of the city of Los Angeles and make their own rules about bees. In some of those cities, and there's 88 of them in the county, bees are legal, and in others they are not. So keep this in mind throughout this podcast as we occasionally confuse cities with neighborhood councils. So sorry about that, and back to the podcast. So you actually invited me over to cocktails at your house because you were like, I want to get into this whole bee legalization thing. What can we do about L.A.? So I show up at your house and the other person who was at your house for drinks was Chelsea McFarland, who I'd sort of just met in passing at the bee meetings. And she was all fired up because she had her uh, councilman from Mar Vista on the hook for like beekeeping legalization. And so she was like, we're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, I just did this in Santa Monica. And she was like, wait a minute, what? How did you do that? And I just said, well, I just pushed it through. <laughs> and I didn't think it was a big deal. And she realized it was a big deal because her um, she had family who work in city bureaucracy. And she was like, no, LA is a problem because we're going to have to go to every single neighborhood council all like 78 or 88 municipalities and get each one of those municipalities to vote for this before we can take it in front of LA city council for a vote. And um, I was like, well, that won't be a problem. <laughs> we, we can petition. We, we have these things in the pocket cut to five years later. <laughs> and it was a lot of pushing and the pushback weirdly, once again, was not from the population. Like when I was walking around asking people to sign a petition to legalize beekeeping, the first question was always, what do you mean it's not legal? Like people were appalled. Out of getting personally something like 4,000 signatures, I only had one person who ever said, no, I won't sign that petition. And she got yelled at by her friend who was like, you're a vegan. You're bee dependent on your entire food supply. So I have no idea why she said no. What was super annoying about the fight was in the five years that we were doing this, all of these other cities around the country were using the Santa Monica template and calling Chelsea and her husband, Rob McFarlane, who literally left their jobs 
I think they're executives at YouTube. And they founded Honey Love, yeah. the organization. And they founded this nonprofit, like, be activist group. And, uh, you know, so we were working really hard. And meanwhile, everyone else in the country was legalizing beekeeping using our paperwork that we wrote for Santa Monica and calling us for advice. And we're like, why can't we do this in our own city? We're doing this for everyone else on the planet. This is so annoying. But we finally got it done. Uh, would you describe that process? So we first was the neighborhood councils going before all of them, uh, which is, uh, by the way, just a uh, side note, the only time uh, I've done a fair amount of public speaking was the only time I've had protesters that I've had to face. There were there were protesters at some of those meetings against bees. Um, but then it came to the, the city council. How did that part of the story go? Um, when we finally brought it to city council via the councilman from uh, Mar Vista, whose name I'm spacing out. It was Rosendahl, oh, yeah. I think, right? And yeah. the, the funny thing about that was that I think Rob and Chelsea got Rosendahl keeping bees before it was legal. Mm -hmm. So he had bees and chickens in his yard. And so he was a kind of a natural ally uh, for the process. We had a couple natural allies because another person who was on our legalization team was the first gentleman of Culver City because <laughs> his wife is mayor. <laughs> so we had a lot of people on our side and it was just because LA is a big city and they just have to nail everything down in terms of zoning and that sort of thing that takes it a really long time once you sort of convince them that the public overwhelmingly wants this. And I have to say I was super impressed with the city council because when I would go, you have to lay down a lot of science on them and sort of explain, well, there's 10 to 12 feral hives living on every square mile of Los Angeles already. And if you're worried about public safety, it's actually safer to have more beekeepers because if the 10 hives per mile are managed by a person and not in somebody's compost bin, then they'll probably be safer. And you'll know what's going on with the bee population a lot better if it's managed. And that's something that's hard to parse out. And they sort of understood like, oh, bees are smarter than people. They will not outbreed their food source. So this is why beekeeping won't create more bees in LA. It will just manage them in a way that's appropriate for a city. And that's kind of a complicated thing. And they they did all the scientific research uh, when they were asking about the feasibility study for can this happen in the city of Los Angeles. One of the council members said, well, my staff pulled a feasibility study from Sierra Club. And if you guys believe that the Sierra Club knows what they're talking about in terms of beekeeping, then I'll just pass that around to all of you guys and we don't have to pay thousands of dollars to have this done because Sierra Club has already done it. And so they were great about doing things like that. I was so impressed. Yeah. Now, so is Long Beach, is it legal here to keep bees? It is. Um, anyone here somewhere else around here where it's not legal? Okay. Um, do you have any advice, Max, for people who want to maybe legalize beekeeping in there wherever they live? Um, well, Honey Love, uh, which is now more education, still has a really great program. They have all the documents on their website. So if you go to honeylove.org, uh, they basically created a kit for this is how you do it. And here's the paperwork. And this is what you should think about. And this is what you should talk about. And I think it's just a city-by-city city thing, too. Um, the worst meeting that you had with protesters, which was enraging to me, I'm so glad you took that meeting because I would have started yelling, uh, was, uh, was it uh, Pacific Palisades? Yeah. So out of everyone, I'm just going to shame neighborhoods. So out of all of the go Go ahead. So out of all the municipalities in Los Angeles, only Pacific Palisades and Studio City said no. And um, I didn't go to the Pacific Palisades meeting, but I read the documentation that was written by one of the members and a, like an emeritus member of their neighborhood council. And it was like 20 pages of footnoted 
well, the word I'm going to use, I'm not going to use because this is a family podcast, but it was garbage. Like they'd pulled all of these so-called facts from even the Honey Love documentation and provided footnotes. But if you followed the footnote, you would see what they were saying was actually a lie. So for example, they said, according to Honey Love's own statistics, 47% of their neighborhood don't want beekeeping. And so you look at the footnote and you follow it to like what the actual document said. And it's like 47% of people in Mar Vista don't want beekeeping to be illegal in Los Angeles. (laughs) So it was like stuff like this throughout this document. And it was obviously written to circumvent the voter and circumvent the will of the people. And I was just like, what sort of like petty corruption is this so don't make me mad because i will get out my angry pen and write a shamey document back which i did and i basically pointed out first and foremost that the law that they were using to outlaw beekeeping in pacific palisades was the same law that they used to outlaw other things that don't matter like you know exterior clotheslines in your backyard and black people and Jews from owning houses. (laughs) So I sort of led with that. Like, you know, this is what you're basing this law on is neighborhood covenants and neighborhood covenants were put in place in Pacific Palisades specifically to redline minorities from ever buying homes here. So I started with that and then just sort of like went through everything. It was just like, I, I think you should bend to the will of the people and put this for a vote because if you're going to believe this lie that two of your members are trying to pull over on the public, then what are you other than liars and crooks? So in that vein, poor Eric then had to do cleanup. <laughs> they had a high school students with um – holding posters of people covered in bees, you know, the stunt where you put a queen bee on yourself and you get covered in bees though. So it was like that, but they were portraying it as this is what's going to happen. You know, there's going to be people running around Pacific Palisades covered in bees. Um, So, but last question about the legalization thing, there was also a lot of diplomacy that had to happen because there was the backwards beekeepers and, you know, we were more controversial at the time, I think, than we are now. I think a lot of our practices actually have been accepted by mainstream beekeepers, very surprisingly. But when this legalization process started happening, the the L.A. County Beekeepers Association was very wary of us and its legalization process, but eventually came on board. Um, do you know how that, that, that happened? Um, they realized that they lost. That's why they came on board. And they were looking really, really bad on public record is what happened. And I can be mean about it because they called me a member of the beekeeping Taliban. <laughs> so Right. They called Kirk a terrorist, too. Yeah. yeah. That, I was part of it. I was his beekeeping Taliban minion. And I was also called a beehaver. Which yeah, is, that's a common one. Which is accurate. I have bees. But uh, yeah, our main pushback in LA County was actually the other bee club. And I don't know this as a fact, but, you know, they didn't want hobby beekeepers taking over any sort of honey sales, propolis, uh, bee breeding operation that they could keep monetized. So they sort of pulled out all the stops and were saying, like, they're using dangerous Africanized bees. So, you know, when I'd show up at city council, I'd have to show my backyard. I'd be like, here's my dangerous Africanized bees 10 feet from my back door. Do you want dangerous bees 10 feet from your back door? Because I don't. They did all sorts of nefarious things. Um, One of the things that was hilarious was they wrote a letter to every member of city council, basically – saying that we didn't know what we're doing. We are a danger to the public. We're spreading misinformation and lies. And uh, I found out about this letter because they didn't really realize that the Venn diagram for master gardeners and beekeepers is kind of a circle. So they blasted out this letter to all the master gardener list 
thinking that the master gardeners are all going to like be on board with like saying no to backyard beekeeping. And so one of the backyard, backwards beekeepers, also a landscape designer, got this in his inbox and he was like, what is this? So he sent it to me. So that's how I sort of knew who we were up against because it wasn't in Santa Monica, it was it was just the extermination companies that were going to lose money. And I was really disappointed that in L.A. it was the other bee club that was going to lose money, or so they thought, because we were around, who was really doing the pushback. But astonishingly, they came around. And now I know for a fact that they're secretly buying Africanized bees for big operations in the Central Valley. So um, I guess we – thank you. Yeah, I guess we won. Uh, before we go to questions, uh, Max, is, you want to – yeah, I'm going to ask you what else you want to say. Okay. I'm going to say we didn't win. We got this victory in Los Angeles. So beekeeping is now legal in R1 neighborhoods, M neighborhoods, which is like, you know, manufacturing, and in A neighborhoods, which is agricultural zones. Uh, I wanted it to be a blanket rule, like in Santa Monica, where anybody can keep bees. It is still not legal in Los Angeles to keep bees in R2 or R4 neighborhoods, which are apartment neighborhoods. And you know, that's disappointing to me because I think a lot of people who would benefit the most from becoming beekeepers are the people who can't afford to actually own a standalone house in Los Angeles. So that's sort of like the bittersweet ending. Uh, that said, LA doesn't care about really enforcing that unless your neighbor complains. So there's, there's still a lot of people who can have bees everywhere. Um, the big burn, though, and I don't know if you guys know this, is that at the statewide level, the following year, uh, they stripped out language in the state ag law for beekeeping, where previously, if you rescued bees from, say, a water meter or something like that, the ag inspector could come and look at your bees, and if the bees were nice bees, you could keep them. But now, according to the California state law, you have to kill all bees that you find. And this is obviously something that I mean, it was voted for unanimously, but obviously it was put on the books by beekeepers, by not backyard beekeepers. So I was a legal beekeeper for one year, and now I'm back to being part of the beekeeping underground, which, as I like to say, is the yummiest way of breaking the law. Right. Well, on that note, anything else, Max, before we go to questions or... All right. So if you have a question, uh, I need to I need to play Phil Donahue and you need to speak in the microphone. So um, anyone have any questions? You, sir, come on up. It's legal in L.A. County. L.A. City. OK, but large part of L.A. County is also legal. Why isn't Lakewood? So here's what happened with the city of Los Angeles. I mean, the city of Los Angeles is called the city with 80 main streets because back before it became this mega city, it was all these little municipalities that sort of grew together. And in places like Lakewood, uh, beekeeping was either never legal or was made illegal at a certain point in time. And some municipalities never made beekeeping illegal. Now, the reason why some municipalities made beekeeping legal is like Pacific Palisades, where beekeeping is agriculture and agriculture is what poor brown people do. So no, it was never about public safety. It was always about making the neighborhood look as nice and tidy as possible. So it was always about like the aesthetics of the neighborhood uh, and not about anything really real. So in LA County, that's the sort of situation. It's very patchwork and it's very stupid and because, you know, bees fly in a three to five mile radius around their hives. And so on one side of the street, beekeeping is legal. And on the other side of the street, beekeeping is not. So this was one of our arguments when we were trying to legalize beekeeping in Los Angeles was the current laws need to be overhauled because the current laws are not based on science or common sense. So that's why. You know, back in the day, somebody probably wanted a really fancy house and they said no to beekeeping and exterior laundry lines and you have to paint your house a certain color. And when those sort of neighborhood codes came down, beekeeping also got on the chopping block. That's my speculation about Lakewood. (laughs) But I, you know, I would say 
investigate and ask around because it could be easy if it's just one municipality to like flip that switch because there's everybody's really pro B. Everybody knows we need bees. So it may not be that your city council are on the wrong side of history or science. It could just be that they don't even know that beekeeping is not legal in their city. Well, I live in Delray, which was one of the first neighborhood councils that endorsed the um, beekeeping initiative. And in fact, I got a uh, like a postcard or little form that I was supposed to send back saying, would I be interested in having bees in my yard? I thought I was going to get them for free <laughs> if I just checked off yes on the box. But I think it was just a poll, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I have been greatly helped by the uh, legal beekeeping and the um, license, the $10 a year license that I pay because I had one neighbor who who, who complained and, and I said, oh, have you been stung? No. He said, no. I said, oh, you you have like dead bees in your yard? No, no. What's the problem? Well, I see them in the air, he said. I said, well, I'm thinking, well, I see bees in the air everywhere because I know where to look. But um, (laughs) I didn't say you're crazy, but that's kind of what I thought. He says, well, I'm going to report you. I said, well, I have a permit and it's really, it's really fine. You'll be fine. And he called the city and the city came out and they said, well, it's six feet from the fence. It's, It's there. There's a water source, you know, she's completely within her right. She doesn't have to do anything. And his adult son came over to me the next day saying, apologizing for his dad, who's kind of grumpy about everything and hates insects of all kinds. Um, and he says, and, and you know, you've kind of gotten us into gardening too. You have this big garden and, you know, we had this apple tree for about 10 years and we've only gotten like three or four apples. And last year we got a hundred apples. And I said, that's from the bees. <laughs> and he said, oh, you're right. <laughs> so thank you for legality and protection from the city. Yeah, I mean, as its story shows, it's always people that are the problem. It's not the bees that are the problem. Anyone else? Yes, you, ma'am, come on down. Remember, we have to get you on mic if you don't mind. Um, you mentioned something quickly about the Africanized bees going into the agriculture that they were purchasing the hives. Can you elaborate? On- you want me to spill the beans on that one? Yeah, so... Um, as Max mentioned, there was a lot of resistance from the um, kind of official beekeeping associations about this issue of Africanized bees. So uh, the, the feral bees in this area are all uh, likely Africanized. Uh, so, you know, they're maybe slightly more aggressive, but not super aggressive. There's different ways. You have to deal with them a little differently. Uh, actually works for a um, bee removal company. Uh, all over L.A., removing bees every single day, even in the middle of August on an extension ladder, that kind of thing. And there's always this issue of what do you do with the bees you remove? And guess what? He's told me initially the, the, the big beekeepers in Central Valley were resistant, but now they're secretly buying them from him. So I'm going to say that uh, bees with African genetics are the future for California. I'm calling this right now, and I can say this with some authority because um, when African bees were accidentally released in Brazil, it was a total nightmare because honeybees are total efficient pollinators, and they were out foraging the native species. So for Brazil at the time, it was an environmental problem of competition. It wasn't necessarily like the, oh, the swarms of bees attacking people. And if you talk to beekeepers in Brazil now, they basically say, yeah, the African bee saved the industry because as the world gets hotter, you need a tropical bee that can handle the heat. 100% of the bees on Puerto Rico are Africanized. And uh, the university in Puerto Rico actually has one of the world's best bug programs. And they did a lot of research on the uh, indigenous, well, it's not indigenous because they were brought there by the Spaniards, like they were brought to the new world. But um, they did uh, a lot of research into the local bee population. And they discovered that even though all of Puerto Rico's honeybees are Africanized, they are actually less aggressive than European bees that are brought from mainland. And they hypothesize that because these bees have now been on an island for generation and they don't have any predators per se on that island, that they've lost their vigilance over time. Pretty much 100% of uh, 
bees in Mexico are Africanized. And when you talk to a lot of beekeepers in Mexico, they say, well, initially it was problematic because they were much harder to manage. Because, you know, like packaged bees are sort of like greyhounds. They're dogs that are bred to do one specific thing. And then when they're not doing that one specific thing, they're also bred to not bark and sit in a cage all day. So that's the sort of equivalent to what we've done to our bees is that they're very docile. So when African genetics came in, they were like, oh, well, we have to buy extra gear. We have to be slower in our movement. We just have to be a lot more conversational with our insects than we did before. And initially, honey production went down. But after 10 years, honey production went back up to its pre-African invasion levels. So, you know, it's one of those things where... I get a lot of pushback from people who live in cold places who say things like, well, if I can't keep bees in, you know, my shorts and flip-flops, then they're too aggressive. And I just think, look at all the stuff we've done to bees since the middle of the last century. We've upsized them. We've removed their genetics that, you know, make them build propolis, which is important to their health care. You know, we've done all these things to the bees and we keep asking for more. Is it really so hard to put on a bee suit and sort of meet these workers who are making our food halfway? Like, why is that so inconvenient? <laughs> so that's my big question back to when people say, well, like, are these bees hard to manage? And then it's also bias. Like I was talking to the late, great Susan Rudnicki, and we were working on a job uh, with uh, package bees because the client had just bought all these packaged bees and we went over there for an inspection and we opened up the hive and Susan was like, I think these bees have been poisoned. What's wrong with these bees? And then we just finally figured out that they were, weren't feral because they were sort of like wandering around. Nobody was coming up to look at us. And, uh, you know, when I, was talking to the owner about that. He's like, oh, you know, I initially had feral bees and I would open the hive and all the bees would look up at me and it was so scary. And I was like, that's my favorite part when I open it up and they're like, hello, hello, hello. So I, I think it's just what you're used to. So I think that, yeah, actually everyone's using Africanized bees because they're the ones that are sustainable. And they're free. Uh, we have another question. Just a strange question semi-question. It's Isn't it strange that L.A. and a number of other cities have nothing in place to deal with rats or cockroaches, both who spread terrible diseases, and yet they have laws against bees who are beneficial? Well, when people ask me about, well, what happens when the law shows up at your house? Um, I've had ag inspectors in my backyard. I've had cops in my backyard. I've had all sorts of people crawling through my backyard. And, um, you know, at one point I had like 10 beehives in my backyard when the ag inspector came through. And the ag inspector in my neighborhood is actually a guy who got his master's in beekeeping in Lebanon. So he knows all about bees. So it's not like he just didn't know. I mean, the thing is, is that People who have to deal with bees, like, you know, city safety workers and uh, people who are running power lines, they want you to have bees and they see you as part of the solution. It's only your naughty neighbors who ever call in anything. I mean, I had a neighbor who, of course, is a bad lawyer, uh, <laughs> approach me because he had not seen my hives. He had just seen me in my bee gear <laughs> in my car. And he was like, you're keeping bees. This is illegal. I'm going to call the cops. And I was like, okay, well, just call the cops because I'm on their list of beekeepers who does bee removal. So they're just going to call me to say, hey, how are your bees? <laughs> um, so, you know, it's like they have – this was once again a people-generated problem and – even the people who have to deal with insects, they're not doing it right now because they don't want to budget for it because bees aren't the problem. I mean, we have West Nile virus and we have Zika now. And so 
all of the money to combat problem insects is going towards, you know, mosquito eradication right now. So it's, it's an, an annoying sort of thing. And that's why I said earlier, if it's illegal in your community, just do some digging. It could just be that people don't know that it's illegal and it might be an easy switch. <laughs> you might just be able to say, hey, here's the documentation from L.A. Here's the documentation from Santa Monica. You know, why not here? Well, um, we have time for one more question or quick question. Come on down. I just have a question. I'm just a newer beekeeper uh, member, um, but I've been studying bees for a while. My question is I have a friend who have a, in, 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 you know, like a, a nice house. It has a, a, a real great uh, front and backyard with a lot of native trees and, and a lot of uh, also fruit trees. And I, he's thinking about having bees around. So when I talk to him, he said, I need to talk to the neighbors. We have children around. And I said, well, let me ask around the question. But I don't think it's a problem. But, yeah, the neighbors should know uh, just in case, you know, they think the bees going to attack them. I said, it's not a problem. But, yeah, please uh, enlighten me on that. Okay, yeah, about how to deal with neighbors, maybe where to place the bees. Max, have thoughts on that? Um you can look up your local bee laws, like in Los Angeles, you have to keep them a certain number of feet away from uh, sidewalks and property lines and things like that to make it legal. Um, the only argument uh, against keeping bees in your backyard is if one of your neighbors, immediate neighbors, is legitimately allergic to bees, which is actually a very, very rare allergy. And to the point of where I think when we were researching this for bee legalization, there are nine issues. What is it? It's like nine bee-related incidents a year in L.A. County for bees um, that end up in the emergency room and 30,000 incidents of glass furniture <laughs> versus people <laughs> that end up in the emergency room. So, you know. In comparison to your coffee table, bees are super safe. Yeah, watch out for the coffee tables, ladies and gentlemen. All right, we're, uh, that's it. I want to thank Max here, and uh, thank you all for joining us this morning. Yes, Max? Um, even though I'm a feral bee evangelical, I don't want anybody who hears this to think that I, I don't want to work with a bee that's that aggressive. I want to get a package bee. I want to know um, the personality of the bees before I start. I, I think that's okay. Like, as I said, I don't like to put obstacles in front of people for beekeeping. And I sort of feel like you should get the gear and you should get the bees that make you comfortable and make you feel confident and make you excited about learning more about beekeeping. All right. Well, thank you, Max. Thank you all. That was Max Wong. You can find her website at myromanapartment.com. And you can find her on Instagram at myromanapartment. You can find the Long Beach Beekeepers at longbeachbeekeepers.org. Thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers, and thank you everyone for listening. Our closing music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you.